Welcome to the Sparkcom podcast where we talk about trends and what's coming next. How are you doing today, Adam? I'm doing great. I'm Adam Hartung and you are? Manny Turan. Thanks for the reminder. Um, today and uh, just uh, like last week, we're talking about uh, innovators in uh, the month of December here and looking at some of the successes and failures of great innovators in hopes that our uh, listeners and viewers can learn from their mistakes and learn from their successes. And at the tail end of last show, we kind of talked about uh, Uber as one of these, uh, these movers. And let's talk about that. Let's start there, Adam. Sure. So Uber is a company that's got a lot of people using uh, their technology, but they're not making any money. And so they're one of those the, the, the companies that there's a lot of questions about it. Um, some analysts say you got to be owning it. Some analysts say don't own it. Um, it's very controversial. So I wanted to take a minute and start saying, well, can we know a little, talk a little bit about Uber, understand why it's controversial, help people frame it in their minds, and let's get really focused on the $1 billion investment they made in autonomous vehicles, which they gave up last week. And they um, said, we're gonna throw that technology out the door and to get rid of it, we're gonna put $400 million with it so that it'll be set up as a separate company. So that's kind of where I'd like to go with today. And the way I wanna start with this is, Manny, I'd like to ask you, what, what do you think Uber's value proposition is? Well, uh, as I mentioned last time, for me, it's a convenient and quick way to get from point A to point B, especially if I uh, don't want to deal with parking or I don't want to, if I'm in a, a new town, I, I would pull up an Uber app before I would call a taxi cab. And see, that's exactly why you should own Uber stock, okay? Because we need to take a minute here and step back. Why did Uber get started? What was the genesis of the company? Do you remember kind of at the very beginning when Uber became a company, what it was they said they would do? Um, I think it was just a transportation company, wasn't it? No, see, that's, that's why this is such a great example to talk about. The actual idea yeah. of moving people around and all this that they're doing with the cars is really one value delivery system of their value proposition. Their value proposition was we match up unused resources with people that could take advantage of those unused resources. So, right. and that's why you'll often hear people talk about Uber and Airbnb at the same time, because both of them really have the same value proposition. What they said was, we're going to build software that would allow you to have some resource that you use some of the time, but when you're not using that resource, you could let somebody else use the resource. And then we're going to have on the other side, a great app that lets people go in and say, I need a resource and they could reach out and get it. So that was the genesis of it. And you can imagine now how that would work for Airbnb. And you can imagine how it would work for Uber. By the way, they built some really fancy pricing mechanisms so that if you're on the buy and seller side, it could allow you to set price and negotiate price and you know, do things like uh, surge pricing when demand's really high. So that was all part of the technology that they were building for this value proposition of matching up underused resources. The first big application they hit on was cars. Somebody said, listen, every day in New York City at four o'clock, you can't get a cab. There's a shift change and the cabs are all going away. The new ones haven't come out yet. Every time, and so I can't get a cab. If it's every time that I get done going to the Broadway play, I can't get a cab because everybody wants a cab at the same time. So people always complained about cabs. You know, New York City was where they started this idea. And they said, why don't we just let people who have a car 
fill in that that surge, right? Let's let people you know, say, I've got a car. I'm not using a car. Maybe I could just be like a part-time driver. And that would fill a big gap because your options were either, you know, stand in line for a cab or you hired a limo service. And limo service was very, very expensive. Most price didn't like a cab. So actually transporting people this way was just the first value delivery system of their value proposition. But you see where you are, Manny, when I ask you what Uber is, the first thing you think about, well, you know, they're an alternative to a taxi service. You know, they're in transportation. Um, mm -hmm. That's the thinking that you have. And that's where I, what I want our innovators to understand. When you confuse your value delivery system with your value proposition, you're very likely to start making really bad investments. And in the case of Uber, sit down and say, what if, if they really wanted to be long-term successful, what they had to do is figure out what some unused resources were and figure out how to do this matching, right? And how to have great technology so it's easy to put your resource up and it's easy for people to find it. And, you know, eventually there might be your house, but, you know, they could, you could say, I could use Uber technology as a gig worker. I could say, hey, right. I you know, that's kind of where 5RR is right now, is they're kind of trying to do the same thing with gig workers. But this is the place where they could start to go. Instead, they got down this road with the taxis. And what they did was they completely forgot their value proposition. And they said, you know what we need? The most expensive thing that we have are our drivers. They're expensive. They're pain in the butt. And by the way, in some states like California, they're trying to really make it difficult for us to, to utilize this, this uh, surge kind of way of doing things that like us to cry. And so now they're all into this idea of being a taxi company. Now, here's the problem. They didn't ever sit down and figure out how to be a great taxi company. They don't have a value proposition as a great taxi company. They never said, well, this is how we would be the most superior taxi company out there and go after the taxi companies to try to beat them out of business or the limo services to beat them out of business. They just went at this like, oh, that's our first application. Then they started investing in that delivery system. And when they said drivers were too expensive, they started pouring millions of dollars into driverless cars. Now think about how bad that is. If your goal is to help people match up their resources, what you're now saying is the person that has the resource, the automobile, you're saying, I don't want you. I want you to take and eliminate yourself from this equation. How am I going to do that? Am I going to go take my car and I'm going to suddenly put thousands of dollars of autonomous technology into it? That, that doesn't fit the model at yeah, all. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. No. And then what's the other option? That Uber's suddenly going to go out and take this autonomous technology and go to Ford or GM or somebody and say, we want you to make us 10,000 autonomous cars, and they're going to have a fleet of autonomous cars. See how now what's happening is all these investments in the value delivery system are just escalating, and they're getting out of control, and Uber's spending all this money on it, and it was just a bad place for them to put their money. And I'm not saying autonomous cars are bad. And I'm not saying somebody couldn't make money with autonomous cars, but I'm saying Uber completely blew it. They right. Let me, let me interject something here, Adam. Let me get your thoughts on something. So as innovators, as entrepreneurs, as pioneers in, in innovations, in the innovation space, how do you decide or how do you look at uh, value slash value delivery on one hand, and being able to pivot and chasing a trend on the other hand. Is there a counterbalance? Are they mutually exclusive or are they uh, sort of parallel? How, do they, how does that work? The first thing you have to know is your customer. And I'm amazed at how many people, how many innovators start off without knowing their customer, but instead they start off with a technology. And then they, what happens is they develop, they have a solution looking for a problem. 
So we always have to start as innovators with the customer. What are the unmet needs of a customer? So if you were in the taxi business, but any business you want to look at, you say, you know, there's a hole in this business. There's people have needs and they need those needs filled. Then what you do is you start looking around at trends and you say, how will those needs change because of trends? Or how will they grow because of trends? So a really good example of this, you know, it's a company we use too often, but it's Apple. Apple was bankrupt in the year 2000. They were going to die. And what happened? Well, the leadership sat down and said, you know, there's unmet needs in terms of looking at mobile phones, right? They sat there and they looked and they said, here's RIM. It dominates the industry. And this big thing was it had a keyboard, right? And they said, but people aren't getting everything they want from that mobile phone. Instead, they're using a computer and a mobile phone. And they said, what if we could take and meet the unmet needs that people have when they're mobile? And so the leadership spent a year and they wrote a business plan, you know, called the Future 2010. And they said, it's all going to be about mobile. And that's and then they extended out these trends. And that's what got them into thinking about apps and how to develop apps and how to get the, the developer network together and how to build out that mobile world. They didn't base it on technology. They based it on understanding the needs that we would have as business people, as commercial enterprises, and then eventually just as ordinary citizens, all the needs that we would have around use, around mobile technology. So you always have to start with that. You have okay. to customer. So if I'm, if I'm uh, the CEO of Uber right now, and I'm looking at, um, you know, like what we're discussing today, them going off a, on a potential wild goose chase, with this whole Aurora business that they that they've spun out, all that, uh, or saying, you know, we're going to retool, we relook at our value, and double down on uh, the uh, driving people around platform. Well, yes, I think so. What we have to do is say, how good is our uh, approach to this matching up of resources? And I think you can say that, that's a pretty good value proposition. Airbnb has gotten a lot of people to put their spare bedrooms up or their, you know, their second house up. Uh, Uber has gotten a lot of people to say, um, I like an alternative to traditional taxis and limousines. And so they, there's a market there. Okay? We know <laughs> there's a market there. What Uber needs to do is go back and say, what would make us great in fulfilling that market? Right. How what are my needs? So sit down. Don't I don't want to be an Uber user like you. That's you know, it's an alternative. I should be somebody who says, wow, I'm thinking about getting rid of my car or maybe get rid of my second car because I love using Uber. It's fantastic. You know, like, you know, we used to say Apple knew what I needed on my mobile phone before I knew I needed it. That's where they need to be. They need to sit down and say, oh, gosh, you know, we should be able to track Adam Hartung, all of his users. We know where he lives. Let's figure out if we could promote to him that we would be his commuting service. That's maybe some way to help get to where that I love them. Or they get, they know, you know, Adam always wants a car that's got lots of leg room. Or Adam always wants the cheapest route. So Adam always picks the small cars with whoever's got the lowest cost uh, opt alternative out there. And they start to know who I am. They put some artificial intelligence with it. And they start to make it really, really superior. Really, and same thing from the driver's side. You hear drivers complain all the time about actions that are taken by Uber. And they say it, it hurts their ability to make money. Okay, that, that means you don't know your customer because once again, the driver's a customer. And so what's the value proposition? One point you could say, hey, sit in your car, take a snooze, we'll call you up and you'll go make 30 bucks. And that was some people said, hey, that's an easy 30, 60, 80 bucks. 
get that again. You've got to get to where you know the needs of that driver and you start saying, in fact, it might be to the point you say, you know what, if you've started to slip into the mode where you're thinking you're going to make a living as an Uber driver, you need to rethink that because our technology and our business proposition isn't about yeah. a full-time driver. It's about stopgap utilizing resources that otherwise wouldn't be used. Right. And how does the, uh, uh, the leadership and really the, uh, the board members of Uber justify, how did they justify Aurora in the first place? Well, I think, again, you have to go back to over, the overly great influence we will put on financials with insufficient work on our strategy. Once you start investing in uh, a value delivery system, once you develop a value delivery system, it's very easy to look at the fact that that's where all your money has been. It's where your investments are. And you start trying to figure out how do I get better? Remember the encyclopedias, they were in the information business. But what happened was they got so involved in their delivery mechanism, which was books, that whenever the internet came along, they didn't see it as an alternative. They forgot what their value proposition was and they kept using technology to make better and better and better books, right? And so that's because you get financially driven. It's one of the reasons you don't ever want to let the investment bankers or the bankers tell you how to set your strategy as an innovator, because they're going to tell you to only do the things that have incremental cost. In other words, can we get into that? Or we're already into it a million. Let's add a hundred thousand. They're looking at that next increment. They're looking at the financials and they're very focused on how do I lower the cost of my existing value delivery system? Right. They're not thinking about, well, what's my real value proposition and how could I do something that's alternative? Because, I mean, one of the big things that needs to be happening in Uber is there needs to be a group of people over there in white, in blank space, excuse me, in blank space, that are sitting out there saying, well, how else could we use this technology? Yeah. What markets are there for this technology? You know, like, could it be, I'm in a position, for example, that living in Vegas, I have to go to LA fairly you know, frequently and I have a choice. I can either drive my car on Highway 15, which is almost always a disaster for four to five hours, or I can go and park at McCarran Airport, wait in line, go through TSA, get on an airplane for 25 or 30 minutes to then deal with all the hassles I have to deal with at the airport in Los Angeles. Neither alternative is great. And I don't want to go sit on a bus with 30 of my closest unknown people, right? Yeah, so, especially now. So here's another market where you could match up. There, 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 are, there are people, there are people every day going between LA and Vegas. Man. Like I said, the roadway's a disaster. Most of those cars have one person in them. You know, at least half cars have one person. Yeah. Maybe you could replace buses, right? That could be an application. But that's what I'm trying to say is you got to start to understand the customers and their unmet needs. Right. Your solution on those unmet needs rather than constantly investing in the value delivery system. Did you hear what Elon Musk said uh, a couple of weeks ago regarding one of the, the big problems in business in America today? What did he say, Manny? Too many MBAs. <laughs> You know, I agree with that. I actually agree with that. Um, and it's because of that structured thinking. You know, what do, what they don't teach you how to be an innovator in, in business school. That, that If you're lucky, there's one class, right? Most schools don't care about it at all. They think it's unstructured. They think you can't have a, a systematic approach. Of course, we know that's right. different. That's why we put the together, right? We know that you can systematically be an innovator. And and, and so, but these MBAs are mostly taught one thing. They're taught how to go, how to get better at what already exists, you know, how to sell more of what exists, how to make more of what exists, how to lower the cost of what exists. They very much are focused on doing more, more, better, faster, cheaper. That's really what an MBA teaches people. Yeah. How to be an innovator. I mean, to use the fire example, their, their job is to keep the fire burning. 
they're, they're not the spark that, that gets it started. And not to say they're not, I mean, we're, we're painting a pretty uh, broad brush here, but, uh, but I know that in my day, uh, the, some of the MBAs I've worked with, very capable, very smart business people in running the business, but weren't, out, weren't uh, innovative thinkers and, and weren't interested in any risk, weren't interested in, in leaning into any one direction as it might compromise the rest of the business. And right. that's fine because I think you've got to have the interplay, but I, I also tend to agree that there's a lot of companies that are run by MBAs uh, rather than, than true entrepreneurs and uh, executives. And the thing I want our audience to understand really clearly is that if you're an innovator, you put the customer first, the business model first, the technology and the inventions come later because the winner, the person who makes all the money is the one who understands the customer. So if you go invent a product and you're out there running around trying to sell it, you got a problem because you've got a solution looking for the problem. If I've got the problem and I see that some technology will help, I'm in the, this catbird seat. I can say, hey, I know the customer. I, I could use your technology, but I'm going to decide how much I'll pay for it. And I'm going to give you access to the customers. You've got nothing if you just got the technology. You need those customers to buy it. I can fit it into my business model. So innovators, the guys who make a lot of money, the Tony Shays of the world, right? The, the ones, the Elon Musks of the world, what they're doing is they're not looking at the technology first. They're looking at the needs first. And Bezos right. is great at this. He's looking out there saying, what are people's needs? He started off delivering books. I mean, in a time when he, there was this thing, he went to a bookstore and then all it had were the, the popular books and you had to get out a, 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 a glossary and you looked up the ISBN number of other books and then they had to go order it and send it in. That was very inconvenient. He said, look, I can just do that for you. Just tell me the ISBN number, I'll ship it straight to your house and it'll be cheaper and it'll be right. faster. Right. And it was a better way to get books delivered into people's hands. He saw an unmet need that then he just kept saying as he talked to customers, he saw more and more and more needs that they could fulfill. Right. So the, the our audience needs to understand it's not the inventors that make money. Not that inventing isn't is bad or, you know, good. I, I like inventors. Right. But, but if you're an innovator and an entrepreneur, the customer comes first. And the best example of this is Segway. I never met a person that didn't think a Segway was cool. Segway never had a market. It failed. Right. And the reason was nobody really had a use for it. I was at a, at a golf, uh, a corporate golf event about a, a decade ago. I think it was, might've been a little longer. And there was this hole and it said, you know, anybody gets a hole in one on this, we're going to give you the Segway. And then they modified it and they said, we're, we're going to give the Segway to whoever gets the closest to the pin. And it was a corporate event. Everybody gets to play, you know, it's a par three hole. And, and it was really a fun thing. And, and this was just a, you know, a gift. So somebody obviously wins it. The person who wins it gets called up, he walks up, he's standing next to the Segway and he turns around to the audience and he said, for sale, anybody want to buy it? He had no use for it. Here he just yeah. won a Segway and he was ready to sell it on the spot. And he started, he started a whole joke around, well, who in the audience wants to buy the Segway? And all right. these people were having cocktails and dinner and they kept saying, did you ever get a buyer? Did you ever get a buyer? Did you ever get a buyer? Like I said, everybody thought Segway was cool. But there Do you was remember what, he, what the founder said about... Uh you said that cities would be redesigned <laughs> to accommodate this, this disruptive innovation that would be the segue. And of course, they never even got close to that. Right, right. So we want to keep, we keep thinking on all of these markets about what it is that the customer needs, right? And, and, and don't get bamboozled by bankers. Do you remember Solyndra? I, mean, I know you were in the solar business. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So Solyndra, remember, they had the president of the United States endorse Solyndra. And uh, that was Obama because he wanted solar power to, to be to grow and have renewables grow. And so with that endorsement, they raised millions and millions of dollars and they failed. The reason they failed was they didn't understand what how to how to how users would need solar power. Right. They didn't understand how to build it out in such a way that businesses would want to put it on top of their buildings or that homeowners would want to put it on top of their buildings. And so what they did was they kept focusing on making panels, but they never developed the marketplace. They died. Now look at all the solar power we have because other yep. innovators came in, not with better solar panels. They came in with better business models to be able to convince uh, Walgreens, here's a method right. to put in a solar panel. You don't need enough to power your whole building. You just want it during the you know one to five when, uh, when you use the most power, the hottest part of the day. You know, they came up with whole new models. And right. by the way, we can put it on your roof in such a way that Whenever you seven years, your lease comes up. If you want to leave, you can take it down and you can move that solar, uh, farm, that small solar farm somewhere else. So you see, it's people who came up with these innovative applications of the solar panels, looking at the needs right. that Walgreens would have, and they capture the money. And that's what we're about here, right? We're about training people, teaching people, entrepreneurs how to make more money, how to be more successful. Yeah. And that's the way. You know the customer, and then you go find the technology. Yeah, and it's it's remarkable. How many times uh, we have conversations with folks and we talk about innovation and the first thing they jump in on is, oh, you mean inventions? Yeah. Mm, right. Not quite. You know, there is there is a, a loose bond between potentially a technology and an innovation, but it doesn't have to be that at all. I mean, go back to the example of Uber. It, in the end, their app is not that special. Uh, but their mis business model is very remarkable, but their app is not that special. I mean, it's what GPS with a, a two-sided app. That's all it really is. And they need to get that to where it's much more fulfilling for me so that I'm using that a lot more robustly. That's the big thing. It needs to be able to know how I would use an Uber, when I would use an Uber. You know, it needs to be much more than just that small two-sided app. And, right. and they need to put their investments there. Now, and again, we can see, even see this in big corporations. There might be some of our people out there working in a big corporation and trying to understand how to be an innovator. And if you take a look at big mistakes that are made in corporations, it's the same thing. Google came out with Google Plus, right? And Google Hangouts. What did they say? They said, oh, look at Facebook, look at social media. And they said, we're Google. We can make better technology than Facebook can make. So they come up with Google Plus, Google Hangouts, but it never goes anywhere. Why? Because over at Facebook, Zuckerberg built that company around people communicating, and he understood the needs of students first, and then he kept expanding more and more needs, that understanding the needs of more and more customers. He knew those needs, and he's always brought the technology to the need. At Google, what they did was they said, well, if we have the technology, the customers will come to us. Sorry, innovators, doesn't work that way. Yeah, They're not going to come to you. So you really have to know that customer. And right now we have a problem that, you know, Facebook looks like they're going to get sued or they have been sued by the FTC. Um, and, and people are saying that Instagram was a monopolistic act. I couldn't disagree more. If you remember what was going on back in those days, there were already people out there that had um, uh, uh, applications that let people exchange pictures, right? I mean, it already existed as a technology. It was Facebook that said, you know what? These people want to have this as a communication tool. 
we need to have that capability inside of Facebook so that you can use words or you can use pictures. And they saw how Instagram would fit in. And then they made a huge investment. They spent $12 billion to buy that so that they could now have the technology that they could start to integrate. That's really well thought out. Google, on the other hand, said they didn't pay any attention to the customers. And well, that's, that's interesting. And we talk about this in our course and just in general. And what we, what we talk about is the idea of a success formula that you hear the word and you think that's a good thing. And it's a good thing for the beginning part, but not for the end part. And it seems as though sometimes the bigger you are, uh, the more arrogant you become in that uh, anything you touch is gold. Um, Google's a great example or Alphabet, the parent company. And we see that every day of these companies that they, they're, they feel like they're too big to fail. Yeah. And, you know, even the monolithic and uh, long live Sears eventually uh, is now on the ropes because of that mentality. So why was Tony Shea able to make himself a billionaire? He made it not because he understood the Internet. In fact, it was, there was a, already a site out there called Shoes.com. And the guys who ran Shoes.com, I'm sorry, ladies, but they were all men. And the Shoes.com folks, they literally spent all their time on the technology, trying to figure out how we could improve the technology and sell on the internet and deal with these problems. Tony Shea sat down and he said, what are people's needs? If they're going to buy shoes on the internet, what do, we, what do they need in order to make that happen? And he built Zappo around the customer needs and he bought the technology that had to go with that. Nobody ever called Zappos a great technology company, but Shea became a billionaire. And that's the part that I really have to start to understand with our, with our, our, uh, our, our the people watching our podcast. I really hope they start to understand is that it really starts with that value proposition. Know the customer and know what you're giving them as value. Not right. the toy, but the real value. What do they get out of this? Do they get more time? Do they get more freedom? Do they get more flexibility? Does it make their day better? Um, right. Do they save some money? I mean, that could be part of it. But it, the saving money is never all of it. It's always there's more to it than that. Well, what you're saying here is, is a, great, a great segue to uh, talking about our upcoming course, uh, Think Innovation. It basically helps to change your mindset because this is not just a, a recipe. This is really a mindset shift. You have to think like an innovator in order to have the, the courage to make these decisions to take your company potentially in a new, new direction. I mean, we've talked about this time and again where uh, the, the pain required to move like Netflix away from DVDs into this new streaming technology was significant, yeah. but it had to be done so that the company could not only survive, but ultimately thrive and become the biggest media company in the world. As of July, 2020, a few months ago, they are now the biggest media company in the world. And so our course that's uh, gonna be released here this week is uh, gonna help Innovators look at, uh, and those that want to be innovators, look at a process to help change your mindset and understand all the concepts that we talk about in our podcast. Yep. You want to be Reed Hastings and Netflix. You don't want to be Dish or Comcast. The technology guys have not made the money. The ones who own the customer and know customer needs are the ones who are going to make the money. And when we get our sites set in the right place, and then we put the resources to helping those needs be met, boy, that's when you're going to start to find your way going to the bank with, with baskets full of cash. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for, for today, uh, Adam. Uh, go to our, our website, uh, sparkpartners.com for more information on Spark Partners and on our course.
And uh, great talking with you, Adam. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. Talk to you later, man. Take care.